0: If you're doing good uh, today. Um, I want to uh, wrap up a series that we've been calling uh, The Devil's Details. And uh, throughout this series, we've been taking a look at Satan and where he came from and how he, how he operates, uh, all with the intention that we know that there is a spiritual world beyond what we can see. Um, and we live in the physical world, but there's a spiritual world beyond what we can see, and there is a battle a raging in the spiritual war world for you, for your potential, for your joy, for your peace, for your purpose. There is a battle uh, that's raging. The first week, we looked at where Satan came from, and that uh, at one time, he was an angel, a cherub, uh, which was a, an angel that would have been right at the throne of God to give God worship, And God created him as an angel, and he got prideful. He decided he needed some of the worship, so God kicked him out of heaven. God also kicked a third of the other angels out of heaven uh, for uh, the same thing. And so now those are demons, and they do Satan's bidding on the earth. And they are in conflict with good and with God and with, with angels who are fighting on your behalf. Last week, we looked at Satan's game plan for us. And uh, we looked at how way back in Genesis 3, the beginning of Scripture, Satan operated and brought evil into the world the same way that he operates with you. He's not that creative. His plan hasn't changed. He attacks your identity. He wants to convince you that God is not out for your good, and he wants you to detach yourself from who God made you to be and who, what God put in you. That he uh, attacks your serenity, that he wants to take away your peace and your satisfaction and just a feeling of, of, of peace that, he wa- that God wants you to live with. He wants to take that away. And we also learn that he wants to take away your opportunity to live a purposeful, to live a joy-filled life. Today, I want us to look at our plan of counterattack. If Satan has a plan of attacking us, we need a plan of, of, of counterattack And so we're going to dive in in just a moment. Let's pray first. God, I thank you so much for victory. God, I thank you that uh, your name is above every other. And God, I thank you that Satan's ultimate destination is the lake of fire. And Lord, that he eventually has to leave us alone. God, I thank you for your promises. I thank you for your love. I thank you for every person under the sign of my voice, the special attention that you, that you give to them and how you take care of them and how you love them. God, I pray that today that, Lord, that you would just uh, hide me, Lord, so that your word can, can speak. Holy Spirit, uh, please speak to these individuals who um, you love so much. And thank you that uh, victory is going to start today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're a note taker, Today is going to be your day. Get your special pin out that you order on Amazon in bulk because they're so rare. You can't find them at Walmart, and let's go. Y'all ready? I read a, a story about a guy uh, who was a friend of a lot of professional boxers. He was a writer. His name was Wilson Misner, uh, but he was, he was a talented fighter himself. And One night, Misner and boxer Mysterious Billy Smith, anybody ever heard of him? Me neither visited a San Francisco bar where Misner started a fight with some shipyard workers. At the end, only one shipyard worker was left standing. Although Misner rained punches at him, he stayed upright. Suddenly, Smith noticed what was happening. Leave him alone, Wilson, he shouted. I'd knocked him out five minutes ago. On investigation, it turned out that a punch from Smith had indeed knocked the shipyard worker out cold but it also wedged him standing straight up between two pieces of furniture. You know, it really helps to fight when you know that ultimately your enemy has been defeated, doesn't it? That after everything we've talked about over the last few weeks, that ultimately Satan's destination is is destruction. That there is one who is stronger. There is one who is better. There is one who is fighting on your behalf. And at the end of the day, Satan may attack your now, but he can't have your eternity. God has won the victory, if you have a relationship with Jesus, on your behalf. But that doesn't stop Satan from standing in the corner, propped up, still trying to cause destruction in your life. It doesn't stop him from trying to steal your now just because he's defeated for eternity. He is still propped up in the corner, wedged between two pieces of furniture, and he is still out for you. He is still out for your Family, And so he continues to pretend like he has a fighting chance. He continues to stand. He continues to whisper lies. He continues to uh, attack the the family and try to divide families. He continues to try to attack you and your children. He continues to try to spread racism through our country. He continues to try to blur the lines of identity and and the lines of what's right and wrong. Satan, even though he's defeated, continues to tell you that you're no good that your past is a, a picture of your future, that you're not going to get anywhere, that you are stupid, that you are ugly. He's defeated, but he's propped up, and he continues to try to sow division and harm and whisper lies to you. And he's whispering thoughts into your mind that every day you have a choice whether you're going to believe them or you're going to reject them. He's still whispering Lies. In fact, in John 8, 44, while talking to some religious people that Jesus was obviously not getting along with, this is what he said. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies." Satan's biggest weapon against you are the lies that he will tell you. It's all he knows. He will tell you that you are no good. He will tell you that you are not going to make it. He will tell you it's not even worth continuing. He will tell you to take your very own life. Why continue? He will tell you that your past defines you. He will tell you that you should beat up on yourself, that you should regret that. He will try to tell you to give up. In fact, Satan will tell you anything but the truth because he is out to get you, and he whispers into your ear the lies that he wants you to believe. Remember from last week, Satan has to whisper lies because he can't read your mind. God is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. God is omniscient. He knows everything. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere all the time at the same time, but Satan isn't like that. He does not have access to your mind. And so he can't read your mind, he can't put a thought into your mind, but he sure can whisper his native language and tell you lies to try to convince you to think that thought on your own. And for some of you today, you have been hearing the same lie for 30 years. It's connected to your past, And he continues to whisper it over and over again. And you've started to believe it. Jesus goes on to say in verse 45, yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Have you ever felt like it's easier to believe the lies than it is the truth? Can we be honest? Sometimes it's easier to believe the lies than it is the truth. It's easier to believe the lies about the people around you, isn't it? It's easier to believe the gossip than it is to shut it down. And can I be be honest? One of the reasons why we like to believe lies about other people is because it makes us feel better. And so if if what somebody said about them is true, even though we didn't originally think it was, we talk ourselves into believing it's true. If it's actually true, then we aren't so bad after all because they're worse than we are. Sometimes it's easier to believe the lies about other people. Sometimes it's easier to believe the lies about ourselves. Because you've been conditioned to think a certain way because of the negativity and the things that people have said about you in the past. And so now when Satan whispers a lie or when a lie comes through somebody else about you, it's almost easier if you just believe it and accept it rather than trying to push it away and believe the truth. Because if I believe... That things will never change. If I believe I will always be this way, if I believe I was always a failure and it is somebody else's fault, then I almost make a pillow out of the lies, don't I? And isn't it comfortable sometimes to just believe the lies about ourselves? Isn't, isn't it comfortable sometimes to just quit trying and just wrap ourselves in a warm, snuggy of lies? Because we don't have to change. And so we can just accept the way that it is, and even though it hurts, it becomes, it becomes comfortable. Sometimes it's easier to believe the lies because of the culture we live in. In fact, sometimes if it's not negative, I don't believe it. Because so much negative stuff happens. And so if it's something positive, it's almost like, well, that can't be True. Because everywhere I look, it's negativity, it's negativity. And so sometimes it's almost easier to believe the lies than it is to believe the truth. Some of you today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And one of the reasons why you don't have a relationship with Jesus is because it's almost too good to be true. Can I I just tell you? That if you've never accepted Christ, that it really is true that he really does love you that much, that he really did step off of his throne in heaven to a dusty earth, live a perfect life, die on a cross at the hands of men, but accept his punishment, get buried in a grave, and three days later, rise from the dead, and it's free. All you have to do is accept it. It's true. He does love you that much. Sometimes it's almost like it's, it's too good to be true, and so it becomes easier to believe the lies than, than, it is, than it is the truth. And then sometimes I know the truth, but the conditions around me seem to confirm the lies. Have you ever been in that gap between knowing the truth and what feels like reality? Like, I know that God said he would never leave me or forsake me, but right now I feel pretty darn lonely. I know that Jesus said, take heart, I've overcome the world, but as I flip on the news today and every day it sure seems like there's something that's overcome the world, but it ain't Jesus. I I believe it's true, or I've heard it's true, That God has supplied all of my needs according to his riches, but yet I'm looking at my bank statement and it's not lining up. Have you ever found yourself between I think it's true and this is reality? Sometimes it's hard to believe the truth because you can't feel like it's actually true for you. Sometimes the reason things seem so jacked up and sometimes it seems like it's not worth trying and it feels like what you believe is true is not true is just because we live in a fallen world. The story we talked about last week in Genesis 3, the story of Adam and Eve where they were placed in a garden. God said you can eat of any tree except for this one tree because he gave them a choice. They ate of the tree. And at that moment, sin was introduced into humanity. But at that moment, it wasn't just about humanity. Humanity wasn't the only thing that fell and had evil introduced to it. No, in that moment, literally the entire world fell off balance and had evil introduced to it. And so now sometimes it feels like like things are just off because they are. Because all of a sudden, this this element that was never supposed to be in the earth is all of a sudden introduced. And so we have things like natural disasters. And sometimes it does feel like, like the truth isn't true because everything is falling. Everything is literally groaning at the fact that things aren't the way they were, they were meant to be. But I have good news. In the end, the truth of Jesus reigns. The truth does win out. The devil is defeated, but in the meantime, we fight. We have to know who we fight. Look at 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. It says, for though we live in the world... We do not wage war as the as the world does. Now we've gotten to know Satan over the last couple of weeks for the purpose of not glorifying him, of not making him known, but so that we could learn to fight him. He is our enemy. He is the opposition. And we live in the world, but we do not wage war as the world does. In other words, what Paul, who wrote 2 Corinthians, he wrote it to a church that he had started in Corinth, which is why it's called Corinthians. What he is saying is he is saying you live in a physical world, but the battles that you are fighting are not with the world. They're not with people. There is a deeper spiritual battle that's going on. And when Paul writes Second Corinthians, what he's what he's writing to the church at Corinth, people that he loves, what he's writing to them about is that there are some people that are traveling around that are spreading lies about who he is. They're traveling around, they're spreading lies about who he is, about his intentions, about his intentions for ministry. Now, if I'm Paul and I write 2 Corinthians because he's not there in person, he had to send a letter, if I'm writing 2 Corinthians, my letter is going to try to prove the haters wrong. I'm going to say, tell them to keep their mouth shut. I'm clapping back at them, you know what I'm talking about? Keep, tell them to keep their mouth shut. I want you to go to everybody who's heard that lie, and I want you to tell them that they are wrong. Because I find myself doing that. Do you all ever find yourself doing that when you know somebody said something about you that's not true? Like, I, my tendency is I want to go to somebody, and I want to prove them, to them that my heart is good. And so if I'm Paul, I'm like, hey, tell them to shut their mouth, tell the haters to sit down, and you go and you tell them what the truth is, but Paul doesn't do that. Instead, he says, we live in a physical world, but the battle that I am fighting here is not in the physical, it's not with people. There is a deeper reason for this battle. There is something underneath the surface. They don't hate me, they hate the Christ in me. They are not my enemy. There is an enemy under their evil. The Corinthians And these people that were telling lies were judging Paul by his ministry's outward appearance. They were trying to fight the battle in the physical, and I think, I bet you do this too. I bet you fight spiritual battles in the physical world, don't you? You don't have to show your hands, but think back to the last fight you had with your spouse or significant other was it really about his draws being on the floor <laughs> Like for real Was it really about the thing that you were fighting about How many of you have ever fought with your spouse you go around and around for 5 or 10 minutes and you and, and literally you're thinking you can't say it out loud because you're passionate about it now but literally you're thinking what was I even mad about Come on now you are fighting with your spouse, not because, not because you have a physical battle. Usually, usually there's something else going inside of you. Your insecurities are coming out, or somebody else did something to you, or you're fearful of something, and if you let it slide this time, then maybe you're scared that next time you're going to lose complete control. What about the fights you have with your coworkers? Sure, they have that annoying tone when they answer the phone, but your battle's not really with them. And so sometimes we begin to fight spiritual battles by physical means and we begin to fight with people rather than fighting with the evil behind the people. This is what breaks up a lot of churches, by the way. Is that Satan's attacking the church and they begin to attack each other instead of fighting the devil. You've been there. You've been there where you fought spiritual battles in the physical, in the physical world. I'm not, I'm not saying don't ever stand up for yourself. That's not what I'm saying. There is a time to stand up for yourself. There's a time to stand up for your family. But what I am saying is don't be surprised when you stand up for yourself. You make the phone call. You fuss at them. You prove your point. You get an apology. But it still doesn't satisfy you. You've been there, haven't you? You were determined you were going to win this one. And you got the apology, you got the admittance that they were wrong, and at the end of the day, it still didn't feel like you had really won anything. Why? Because you won a physical battle that had a spiritual meaning behind it. So we know who we fight. But what about the weapons we fight with? Verse four, goes, Paul goes on to say, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. That word fight there, the weapons we fight with, is more closely translated in a fight that's more of a campaign than a fight. Like a fight, I think of as being like a single thing, right? Like once, once, once I win this one, it's over. But, but, but no, Paul's talking more about a, cam, a campaign. A campaign is, is ongoing. It takes time. Satan has launched a campaign against you. Whether you believe it or not, he has launched an all-out campaign against you. What kind of things have campaigns? You have fundraising campaigns because they last a long time. It's a war term, military term, campaign. Some of y'all will resonate with this one. It's a video game term. Some of you, we all resonate with this one. A political campaign. God knows they last eight years, right? (laughs) And so, this, this fight that we're in, it, it's, not a, it's not a one-time thing. It's not like once you finally overcome that sin or that addiction or that hold up or that wrong thinking or that piece of your childhood, once you overcome that, it's over. No, Satan keeps attacking like an angry dog or like an annoying child. He keeps coming after you over and over and over again because he has launched a campaign again. To be honest, that's why some of you are tired today. It's not because you didn't get enough sleep. It's not because you got too much going on, it's you're tired of fighting. Some of you today are so tired of feeling like you have a new battle to fight every single day. A financial battle, an emotional battle, a battle at home, a battle at work, a battle of your insecurities and you are tired of fighting because it gets tiring trying to live a life of integrity when it feels like losing your integrity would get you ahead it's tiring trying to to be a parent who pushes your children towards truth and towards Jesus when it seems like the entire world is trying to rip them away from it. It's tiring. It's tiring to be someone who tries to love their spouse as Christ loves the church when everywhere you turn is something to distract you. It's tiring because it's a campaign. It's an all out war. And I've got to be honest this morning and say sometimes I just get tired. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, Maybe you're tired because Satan has seen the potential that's inside of you that Jesus wants to fulfill. And you're worn out but you don't have anybody to run to. If you're tired today, maybe it's because you're trying to fight a spiritual battle with physical weapons. So we've got to know what kind of weapons we use. There's three of them, I'm just gonna give you three. Number one is the weapon of prayer. Prayer is a powerful thing. And I'm not saying that just because I'm a preacher, but I have seen it. Prayer is a powerful thing. And sometimes I think we lose the significance of prayer because the culture we live in does not condone pausing to pray. It more condones busyness to be busy. But prayer prayer is powerful, y'all. Prayer moves the heart of God. There is something that shakes in the spiritual realm when a child of God prays. They're not just words that hit the ceiling. No, there's something powerful when you pray. Prayer really does have the potential to move the heart of God. He will move his hand on your behalf because he's a good father. He wants what you want. He, He wants what he wants ultimately, but he wants to make you happy. Prayer will move the hand and the heart of God. Things change when you pray. But prayer also changes you. When you're being lied to and you're believing the lies of the enemy and you're being tempted to lust again or you're being tempted to drink again or you're being tempted to lie again or you're being tempted to stretch the truth again, when you get in that situation, prayer is the pause that you need. It's something about it realigns your mind and your thinking on the truth rather than the lie that Satan is trying to feed you. What is, what is prayer? Prayer is literally just talking to God. And one of the things I get all the time is, I don't know what to pray for. Have you ever struggled for something to talk to your best friend about? Just talk. Like it doesn't even have to make sense. God doesn't care. But sometimes when, when, when your mind is starting to believe that lie, you have to pause. And you, you have to say, God, I know this ain't right, but I'm starting to believe it. God, I need you, I need your truth, I don't know why I'm thinking like this, I don't know why I'm feeling like this. You need to pause, you need to take a time out. And you need to pray. It doesn't have to be fancy, it doesn't have to be colorful. As a matter of fact, God probably likes it more if it's not, because it's honest. Any, any basketball fans, anybody watching the NBA Finals? Okay, like four of us, that's why way it was first service too. But in, in, in basketball, when, when one team is on a run and they score like 10 points in a row, What does the opposing coach do? He calls a timeout, doesn't he? And a timeout not only breaks the momentum of the the other team, but it also rallies you back around your game plan. Prayer, when you're fighting a spiritual battle, is like calling a timeout in a basketball game. There's something that recalculates. There's something about it that kills the momentum of the enemy's whisper in your mind. And there's something about it that, that resets Inside of you, prayer is where your spiritual potential is watered, and you've got to take time to pray. The weapon of prayer and the weapon of the Bible. Now, some of you all are thinking, how dare you compare the Bible to a weapon? Well, the Bible compares itself to a sword. The Bible is, is, is a weapon. Like, there, there are things in here That you need in your heart. Because this is ultimate truth. I I know what our culture is trying to tell us today. I, I know what people are trying to convince us of today. But this is ultimate truth. This is the full truth. There's not a word in here that should not be. There's not anything in here that's missing. There are no annotations needed. This is the truth. And when the enemy is speaking lies, you need to know the truth. And if you don't already have it in you, then it's not going to be at your disposal. You're not going to be able to draw your sword. And I know that sometimes you read it and you're like, what the heck does that mean? But you know what it's still doing? It's still recalibrating you around the truth. You know what it's still doing? It's still giving you a picture of God's past faithfulness to humanity. It's still giving you a study of the character and the love and the truth of God, even when it doesn't make sense. Where do you start when you're reading the Bible? You can search Bible app in your app store, download the brown icon, or you can just start in the book of John. So in the New Testament, go about halfway, flip over some more, you'll find the book of John. But we've got to get truth in us because this is a weapon. There is nothing like the truth of Scripture to combat the weapon of the enemy's lies. The weapon of prayer, the weapon of the Bible, and the weapon of spoken truth. Y'all know I love lions, right? We did that series last year we called Follow the Roar. I love lions. And here's the thought that I had when it comes to speaking truth. Truth, just like a lion, is powerful when it's in its cage. But it's so much more effective when it's out. And there is something about speaking the name and the truth of Jesus out loud when it comes to that temptation, when it comes to that lie that you were believing. There is something powerful about spoken truth. And now, if you're reading their Bible, even if it's a verse a day, you have some truth to go on. And sometimes you got to speak that sucker out loud. Because remember, this is why it's important that Satan can't read your mind. Because you can't just think the truth. You have to speak the truth. You have to speak it out loud over whatever it is that the enemy is trying to get into you. And if you're, if you're not a believer this morning, this may sound a little weird, but just think of it as self-talk. It's self-talk. Something we see in psychology now. Where do you think that got its root? Sometimes you gotta, you gotta, you gotta speak the truth of Jesus. So when... Satan is, is whispering the lie, and he's saying, You are no good. Or I when mean, he's saying, You're a failure. Or when he's saying they des- you deserve to have them leave or you deserve to have that happen to you or you're ugly or you'll never, you'll never change. You'll never be different. Your parents were like that. You'll never be different. There is a time where you have got to put your foot down and you have to speak to the enemy out loud and say, Satan, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. That is not the truth because I know the truth and I know what God says about me. And he says, I am more than a conqueror through Jesus. He says, I have the freedom of Christ. He says that I am loved no matter what. He says that I am more than a conqueror because of what Jesus has done for me. Sometimes you have to speak the truth out loud and then speak directly to your enemy. Some of you, it's gonna feel weird at times. You can do it by yourself. But Satan, remember, he can't read your mind, but he can hear your words. And if you're wondering, Jonathan, sounds a little kooky. Where's the precedent for that? Look at Luke 4. Jesus is tempted in the desert. Three times Satan comes to him. Three times Jesus speaks back the truth of Scripture. And the last time the enemy leaves. There's something powerful in spoken truth. So we know who we fight. We have our weapons. Now the way to fight. Paul goes on to tell the Corinthians, he says, On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The spiritual battle is ultimately won or lost in your mind. I've said that throughout this series. Satan has the weapon of lies, and the battlefield is your mind. It almost always starts there before it affects your life. The sin that you face, the sin that you do, The lies that you face, the way you try to cover up your insecurities, it always starts in your mind before it works its way out through your life. In fact, there's a word in church that we use sometimes called spiritual warfare, and a lot of people use that word. They have no idea what it means, but this is what it's talking about. It's talking about this battle between fact and fiction in your mind, between who you really are and what the enemy tells you, and that battle starts in your mind. So it kind of goes like this. Satan whispers the lie or he puts the temptation in front of you. And then he brings doubt into the equation. So, because you know the truth, he whispers the lie. And then maybe something else happens, maybe somebody says something and you begin to doubt the truth because maybe, maybe, maybe that is true and maybe you don't think of it exactly like that but you begin to, to replay that thought over in, in, over in your mind and that's what he wants. He wants you to, to think like that. He wants you to really, to really believe that you are just a failure. And before you know it, you've, you've replayed it. You've agreed with it. You've decided, yes, I am a failure. And then he wants you to believe it. And before you know it, he has won control of your mind. Do you remember me talking about strongholds last week? The definition I gave was, it's a pattern of thinking or a way of believing that destroys your ability to move forward in faith. The term stronghold is used at least 50 times in scripture. And essentially, it's a, it, it's a thought process. It's a lie that you have believed and it's essentially locked up in your mind because you so believed it and it's a thought that you, that you can't get out of. And so you've almost, you've almost taken it on as, as your identity. Can I, can I just be honest? One of the strongholds I've had in my past is that I'm not intelligent enough. Like literally, there are times where I'm standing up here and that thought still comes back to me. Like, I'm not smart enough to do this. Like, I don't, I don't know enough. They're, they're, they're all looking at me, and in, in their mind, they're probably thinking, he has no clue what he's talking about. And so for, for a long time, I, I've battled this. But there was a, there was a, there was a point in, in, in my life where God revealed to me that that was a stronghold, that I didn't want to try anything new I didn't want to attempt anything new. I didn't want to be put on the spot because I didn't think I had what it took. I didn't think I was smart enough to come through. And so there was a point where God showed me and I decided I'm breaking that. Like God has called me to do something and I am breaking that stronghold. For instance, last Sunday, Melissa, my, my wife was, was, was sitting right here and because that's a struggle of my past. This, this, this played out. First off, let me just say that Melissa is my backbone. Like she prays for me every day. She prays for me every Saturday night when I'm preaching, every Sunday morning. She prays during the service, and let me say this too, and this isn't a a, a thing for you to feel sorry for me, but my family has paid for this series with with the devil's attack on my family. She has fought that battle. And so she prays for me, last Sunday I was up here, second service. And she told me this afterwards, afterwards. afterwards. see what I mean? <laughs> she told me this afterwards, but she said, I really started praying for you because during your intro, you said that there are three plans to God's attack in your life. Of course, I meant the enemy's attack. But if I hadn't have broken that stronghold in my past, at that moment, it would have came flooding back. But instead, I had the thought that I'm not smart enough, and then there was the truth that God had called me to do this and he had equipped me to do this. And so I had to change my thinking from I'm not smart enough to I just made a mistake and nobody probably even heard it. Because I had the truth, I had prayer, and then sometimes you gotta go the extra step and you've got to say, Satan, that is not true. I know the truth. The truth is God has called me. He has gifted me. He, he, he can work through me no matter what. And sometimes you have to even go further. Sometimes you have to even go further because it's a stronghold and you have to get counseling or you have to go to rehab or you have to get involved in Celebrate Recovery or you have to find a sponsor. Or you have to find a mentor because what it's done is it's locked itself away so tight in your mind that you don't wanna share it, but you can't even hardly deal with it anymore because you don't even realize it's a lie anymore. Some of you today, you are fighting things that you have been fighting for 10, 15, 20 years, and you have adopted them as your identity. And you are so defensive every time someone barely touches that thing, aren't you? So instead of dealing with it for a long time, you've covered it up, you've hidden it, you haven't been willing to try anything, and anytime somebody gets close to it, you lash out at them or you try to think something bad about them to counteract it when in reality it's a stronghold. You've got to take time, you've got to pray through it, you've got to speak the words of God over it, and you have to tell Satan that you are breaking out in the name of Jesus. if you're not careful, a whispered lie will become a dangerous identity, but you have you have your, your weapons, but the fight doesn't last forever. I want to end with giving you a picture of the end of the story. Week one, I read Revelation 20 verse 9. It was just a little sampling because verse 10 is where it gets really awesome. It's kind of like the sample spoon you know what I'm talking about when you try ice cream and that's not even enough to taste it's like don't even, don't even insult me with that tiny little spoon anyway sorry maybe that's a stronghold let me read Revelation 2010 to you to show you what eventually happens this is what it says it says and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, you can't claim that promise. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you don't have the gift of Jesus in your life this morning, you need to be on the opposite end of that. You need the grace of Jesus in your life because you're tired of fighting, but the reason why you're tired of fighting is because Satan has launched an attack on you because he knows what a life with Jesus would do for you. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your, as your Savior and your Lord, you can say these words, there's nothing magical about it, but there is something powerful about it. Say them in your heart, you can say them out loud. And say, Jesus, I confess I've messed it up. I ask you to come into my life to save me and to change my life forever. I believe you died, I believe you rose, and I believe a relationship with you saves me forever. You are now the boss of my life, in Jesus' name, amen. The devil who deceives them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's the end of the story. That's the end of the campaign, y'all. So, when you're fighting, when you're fighting discouragement, you're fighting the lies, you're fighting despair, you're fighting sickness, you're fighting desires, you're fighting sin, you're fighting anxiety, you're fighting insecurities, you're fighting health issues, you're when you're fighting the lies that Satan's whispering to you, keep fighting, use your weapons, pray. Read scripture, speak the name of Jesus, speak the truth of Jesus, fight viciously, but fight victoriously. There is a name above every other name. There is a name that has the power to break down strongholds and to overcome the enemy. You can walk in the victory. You can walk in it now and you can walk in it for eternity because Satan has fought a losing battle. Y'all worship the King of Kings. The ultimate defeater of death and the enemy,
1: come on!